Hello, America. This is The Daily Answer. Today, broadcasting outside of Cookville, Tennessee, halfway between Nashville and Knoxville, right off I-40. want to talk about making what could have been happen or reality. You might say, well, man, how do you do that? Great question. When you look into the Old Testament, there's a couple of passages that really strike me. God's intention for the nation of Israel was that they would be a light to the nations, a living demonstration, like a working floor model of the wisdom of his laws and what can happen when people have an authentic relationship with the true God. And instead of opting for their own wisdom, they follow his wisdom. Deuteronomy chapter four, we see that in verse six. So keep and do them. That is God's commandments, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God, whenever we call upon him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law, which I'm setting before you today? Yeah, that when the nations that interacted with Israel and God set Israel right there at the major crossroads of ancient civilizations on like the major interstate of the ancient world, they would, you know, look at how these people lived and behaved themselves and conducted themselves. They would look at the the laws that governed them and they would say, you know, these are smart people. These are really good people. I mean, these are different people. These are people that live differently than other people and all in a better way. And in Deuteronomy 28, God says, "I, I want you guys to be the head, not the tail. I want you to be the example of all the other nations. I want you to be a light that other nations can look to like, hey, here's the way that you avoid enslavement and bondage. Here's the way that you avoid like the breakdown of a society or civilization. Here's the way that you avoid um, just a very cruel and heartless, becoming a very cruel, heartless civilization, very brutal civilization. Here's how you prolong your longevity as a people. Yeah, here's the type of environment in which to raise kids, good kids. So Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 10 says, So all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of Lord, and they will be afraid of you. And I think we need to realize that that's probably in the sense of that they will kind of stand in awe of you. They will they will respect you. In the New Testament, Jesus exhorts his people to be lights. The light of the world, the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. And to have personal lives beyond reproach, even in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That would be Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. Also, in Ephesians chapter 5 and of verse 6, God says, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Not even a hint, one translation says. I don't want there even to be a hint of any sort of 
evil among you. Friend, friend, if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this broadcast, then you're somewhat upset by the hypocrisy you see in the religious world. You should be upset by that. That was not God's plan. If you go to a church and pretty much the moral standard of that church and the personal lives of that church are pretty much the same as worldly people need to look for another church because that is not God's standard. God's standard is that his people will be different. They will live lives of integrity, moral lives, and they will have different marriages than other people. They will have different family structures than other people. And no, God's people are not going to be living double lives. And Ephesians chapter 5 verse 13, verse 3 makes that clear. And if they are, they end up in hell with everybody else. Yeah, there's no one saved, always saved in the Bible. And so you see that in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6. Don't let anyone deceive you. Because of these things, the wrath of God is going to come upon the sons of disobedience. And you're a son of, a son of disobedience no matter what you call yourself. If you call yourself a believer or a Christian and you're living a double life, you're a son of disobedience. So God has no tolerance for double life people, chameleons, fakes, and flakes among his people. They're going to get weeded out at the end. And the idea that God is wanting his people to live such except, exceptional lives, and in verse, 1 Peter chapter 2 says in verse 12, um, uses the word excellent. You know, let, let your behavior be excellent. And it, it's kind of where false accusations and lies against us and our God fall flat. Because our example and our work ethic and our friendships and our personal life and our family structure and our marriages are excelling. They're excellent. The gospel has so transformed us that unbelievers might even consider us to be another race. For we do the things that others will not do. We do the hard things. You know, in the book of Acts, I find that non-Christians held Christians in high esteem. And even if they did not convert, they respected these amazing people. That's Acts 5.13. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. That's interesting. They didn't dare associate with them. I think the idea is that if I'm living a double life, if I'm living an ungodly life, if I'm not going to convert, then I'm not going to show up at the meetings of those Christians because I don't want to corrupt anybody. I hold those people in such high respect. I admire what they're trying to accomplish that, man, I don't want to get in the way. Now, if I ever want to change my life, that's the first place I'll go because they got the answer. They got the cure. They got the solution. But until then, until then, no, I will not associate with them because I hate them. It's because I respect them so much. I do not want to have any negative, bad influence upon them because I realize as long as I'm an unbeliever, I'm a bad influence. And I don't have it together. And I want those people to succeed. And I don't want to drag them down one bit. May I suggest that that passage in Acts 5.13 is what God was intending in Deuteronomy 28, verse 10. The people around his people could see that God was with them. 
Potiphar saw that God was with Joseph, right? You can see when God is with somebody. They had a real relationship with him. And they stood in respectful awe of such individuals. Well, sadly, we often encounter people later on in life after a lifetime of really bad choices. And while they can convert and be saved, they leave in their wake a tremendous amount of damage. The children that they messed up, you just can't undo that. The marriages that they messed up, you just can't undo that. The finances that they messed up, the health that they messed up, you just can't easily undo that. Like the evil King Manasseh in the Old Testament, who actually did repent, and yet the text makes it very clear that even though he repented, he had created, he had set a ball rolling down a hill that his repentance could not slow down or stop. The people continued to follow his previous bad example. The damage could not be undone. Just kind of keep that in mind if you're a parent. And it's like, eh, I'm not going to get my life together right now. Okay, one day maybe you will want to, but it might be too late for your children because they saw your poor example. And even though you might want to change, they might have no interest in changing. Now, but this transition, there is a present opportunity where we can have a real hand in preventing the mess before it happens. Did you know that? Yes, we're going to encounter people that come to us and it's a mess. But you know what? There are other people that we can actually prevent the mess from ever happening in their life. You might say, well, how can you do that? You mean that you can actually alter the future? Yes. We can all, all of us, any of you, any of you listening to this program right now, you can have a real hand and voice in creating what I would call the best case scenario and bringing into reality, you know, sometimes of what we will say, well, what could have been? Well, you can make what could have been happen. Many of the Christians right now, and as Cindy and I travel, virtually every congregation that we attend, this is true. That is, there is someone who has adopted a child or is in the process, or many couples, or someone who's being a foster parent. Many of the Christians who are currently adopting children or even sibling groups are doing what I'm talking about. That is, what could have been, they're making that happen. In such cases, if those children or sibling groups had not been adopted, either they would have been murdered in the womb, aborted, or abused in horrible and unspeakable ways. Friend, there needs to be a hell. There is a hell out there. Jesus talked about that. There is a hell. And that is absolute justice for adults who abuse children. There is no excuse for that. There is no excuse for abusing a child. Yeah, that will send you to hell with an airmail stamp on your rump. And you deserve that. And when you hear the stories about what these kids have come from or what you realize what they've avoided, it's a lot easier to help out supporting people who are adopting. You see, they would have fallen into the sins of the fathers and the grandfathers and so on. 
There are families out there with just generational sins that have just wrecked havoc on one generation after another. It is that cycle of low expectations, of living like mere brutes. And that continues unless here's a couple that stepped in and said, that baby you're thinking about aborting, I'll take that baby. And I will alter their future. One generation preying upon and corrupting the next generation. That's true among the Canaanites, right? That's eventually why they were put out of their misery by God. Not only that, but sadly, there are people that do that and think it's normal. You know, you'll hear people say, well, besides the fact that I'm addicted to drugs and have an abusive boyfriend, my life is pretty normal. And you go like, uh, friend, that's not normal. When you adopt a child, you have a chance to bring them into a godly atmosphere, a true godly normal. Adoption can stop the process dead in its tracks. That is that generational sin, that corruption, one generation preying upon another generation. It also can remove those children from the devil's clutches. You, you, you lose this time, Satan. You lose. I've got that baby. You don't have it. That soul is not going to be an easy mark. We're going to fight you tooth and nail for that one. You better be prepared for a bare knuckle, knock down, drag out with a mama bear and a godly man. Yeah, you better be ready because we're bringing it. You know, a child which just seemed destined from a human point of view for poverty, drugs, crime, abuse, addiction is suddenly rescued from such a future by a loving Christian couple who will teach them about God, his love, his truth, and will provide them with stability, character building, where they have a chance. Let's rephrase that, where they have more than a good chance. Will you do that? Will you open up your heart and home and create what could have been? Or will you financially and emotionally support the families who are performing such rescues? Often when we think about rescue the perishing, that's a song that we sing. We think of people already in sin. And obviously there's an application there. But many of the children who are being adopted, if no one had intervened, they would perish. For they would be born into an environment where human life, and especially the spiritual life of a child, is not valued. Adoption can suddenly change the entire terrain. You know, the devil needs an unlevel terrain, an unlevel playing field, a stacked deck to win. The devil needs that. Adoption levels the playing field. Suddenly, suddenly it's leveled. And that gives that precious soul a good opportunity and more than a good opportunity to win. Will you step up? Will you step up to fulfill James 1, 26 and 27? This is Mark Dunnigan for the Daily Answer. There are great resources out there. If you're thinking about considering adoption, may I suggest to you that you check out Sacred Selections. It is simply a nonprofit run by individuals and it simply helps couples defray the expenses of adoption. And it puts 
couples into contact with young ladies who, you know, might be pondering abortion and it is saving lives. And if you're thinking like, hmm, maybe I can't bring a child or a sibling group into my home, at least I can financially support that, financially support that good work. Again, that is Sacred Selections. Until next time, we will see you in the Funny Papers.